In this episode, we're going to talk about escape and evasion based on a viewer's question we're going to answer. We're going to look specifically at his question, try to answer it to his satisfaction, and look at the gray man point of view, give him some tips and ideas based on what he wanted. We have had some interest in things like this and urban survival recently, followed up on some of our previous podcasts about civil disturbance. Very likely linked to things going on in the country right now with all the riots that have been going on for, well, we're going on three months, I think. So that's what we'll talk about, escape, evasion, maybe a little bit of survival information, the history of that. And you can also watch a video we just put up yesterday on August 11th, I believe it was, on the Facebook and Twitter page about Sears School, what it's like, what they learn and teach there. And I did that as a precursor to this show. So escape and evasion. How pertains to the gray man? That's what we'll talk about right here on Gray Man Hiding in Play Sight. This is episode 33 of the Gray Man Podcast. I am your host, Shammer. And welcome back for those of you that are not new. So, Escape and Evasion. I've discussed this in the intro something I've talked to some people about. It's come up quite often, especially in urban survival tactics for the riots and things going on in the country right now. A lot of what people want to know is how to decide when to leave, what to do to prepare to leave, what to do once you're gone, how to survive in an urban environment. And that can be important to a lot of people. You know, if you're in a city surrounded by a large community of inner city or suburbs and you're now on foot, we'll say, you know, that five miles to get out of the city becomes very, very long, but there's a lot of resources on the way. So that's been a hot topic lately, and we've been asked a lot of questions, and we got a good one today to answer. The ideas of escape invasion aren't new. In the military, we have SEER training, survival, evasion, resistance, escape. So looking at what those four things are, the survival aspect is really the survival skills you need when you're on your own and have minimal supplies or resources. In the military sense, it's typically a downed pilot for some reason, or somebody gets separated from their unit, or they get captured, and once they escape capture, they have to survive while evading forces. I'm not really going to do a lot on this show about survival skills. I may do something like that on a live YouTube show again, but there's tons of information out there, tons of good videos on YouTube. And when you're looking for those videos and you want to learn basic survival skills, if you're watching videos, whether you like the person or you like the quality of their videos, Pay more attention to the ones that are actually showing you how to perform the skills as though they're teaching you. There's a lot of good stuff out there. They don't teach a lot of skills. They just talk a lot. And those are good too. But if you're new to any subject that they're discussing or the whole concept, definitely look for ones that are teaching you. There are survival schools, Sears type schools for civilians to take. I'm not sure the price. I know they're not going to be cheap. You can look those up online. One of the better ones to my understanding is most of the instructors are former Air Force SEER instructors that go through the whole SEER process, most of it minus the resistance lab. There's also another one I've heard of that I believe is still out there where the main instructor started as a former Special Forces operator, an actual operator, and has a school that teaches some SEER aspects, but I don't know much about the school. I've heard it's good. There are others you can take. There are also ones that focus on urban survival. What I would say is if you look up schools like this, Get the idea of what they're teaching, what they tell you they're teaching. Most of them will lay out the classes or at least the subjects. Might even tell you things we're going to teach you how to do. And then go online and see how many of those things are easy to find to learn how to do. Not that they can't teach them better and not that hands-on isn't a good thing. But when I looked at them before, some of them were 
very, very simple and basic that sounded good because it was urban survival, but there are things you could learn from anybody or online. And then there's always other schools that teach you tons and tons of other stuff. Same thing I've talked about with like medical training or weapons training. So just check those out and pay attention to them. So after survival, we have evasion. Evasion is, in the military sense again, that's what you do when, say, down pilot scenario, is you're trying to survive but also trying to evade what is or will become people trying to find you. And it's the tactics, techniques, procedures you follow. Or after you escape, you have to evade enemy forces. Resistance, they teach in the resistance training lab. That's everything dealing with once you're captured, following the code of conduct, what happens to you in those situations, how you deal with it, how you follow the code, interrogation, all kinds of fun stuff. It's nothing anybody's really going to tell you much about that's been through it, especially an instructor. Typically, even at CRC, you have to sign paperwork about not talking about the training. So don't look for too much detail on it. Then you have escape, and that's basically escaping your captors. And we're going to focus a lot on escape and evasion. We'll touch a little bit on the military side of it and look at this question, specific question, and do our best to answer it and keep it on point instead of just going on a general, kind of general loose discussion. So let's take a look at this question and get into the discussion. I got this question sent to me through the email. If you want to send me a question on email, just go to my Facebook account. You'll find my email link there. You can send me a question directly on Facebook or Twitter if you want to do that. You can also, if you're on Anchor, go to the Anchor app or website and listening to this podcast, you can send me a voice message, which one person's done before. I actually like those because then I can play them for people. So any of those you want. If a question is good enough that I do a whole show on it or I think it's very interesting or it's going to require me to sit down and put a little time to make sure I, I do my best to give you a detailed answer, do my due diligence. Then somebody like that, I'm going to give you one of these books I got to make this whole contest easier since nobody wanted to do the other one, which isn't a bad thing. So I got this question based on the email. I believe the guy's name's Alex. So when I read this message, Alex, you're going to know it's you. And maybe it's not even Alex. It's just what your email says. So when I read this and you know it's you, please send me another email from the same address and give me your mailing address. I'm going to send you one of these books for this question. You can go to the giveaway podcast I did that we actually didn't do. And in the link, there's the three books descriptions. You can check those books out. You can also look at a post I made on August 7th and see what the three books are and tell me which one you want. Give me your mailing address and I will send you the book of your choice. So I'll paraphrase some of this, but I'll get you most of it. So it says, my question I have, if you might be able to cover it in agreement, episode is about escape and evasion tactics and skills that extend into more complex or greater skill levels as much as you can or would be willing to talk about. Which I'll talk about most of it. I don't really talk about the resistance stuff, the training that's involved. And before I go further, I want to explain that they take it very seriously and they update it constantly. There's a really good book out there. A lot of people like to read books by people, intelligence agencies or in the military. They write good books, whether they're nonfiction or fiction. Most are nonfiction. But Mike Durant, if you're not familiar with him, he wrote a book, I think, when he was a CW4. For those who are familiar with the movie or the book Black Hawk Down by Mark Bowden, in that story, for those who are familiar, you get two helicopters that are shot down, and we get two guys from Delta that go to protect a helicopter where everybody got killed but the pilot. They move the pilot into cover. Both the operators get killed. And this guy is a broken femur and gets captured. That's Mike Durant. And he does talk a little bit about SEER training. He kind of goes through his whole career. 
what's very cool about it, it points out a, a thing. I was surprised they let him do this, even though it doesn't really give much away. But it states that he mentions this here training early in the book, and he talks about instructors, especially a very specific instructor that he had. Years later, after he's rescued, after being a POW, he's meeting whoever in the hospital, and there's this guy in there, and it's that SEER instructor who's there to learn what happened to him, find out what he can from him to add it to the SEER training. So that's how seriously they take it. They talk to these people that have been in these situations to add to the course. And the resistance training and the interrogation stuff, I just don't really get into, but I'll, I'll address the rest of it. So anyway, going on to Alex's question here. He says, my first question is, what is some of the order of operations, so to speak? So basically the list A through Z, one, two, three, you would follow. From start to finish that a gray man would need to do in the event they have to escape and evade as well as some things that need to be considered ahead of time for pre-planning for such an event. Now that alone is a solid question I could have done this whole show on, but we're going to keep going because that's like the first third of it. He says following he says does this differ from usual schools i'm sorry from usual skills already established in the gray man concepts living your life as a gray man such as understanding disguise clothing and changing appearance and other things you've mentioned in previous episodes or is there a completely different set of rules that go along with such an event that also tie into those skills as well as even knowing when it is time to pull the trigger meaning make the decision on such things and when to decide when you need to escape and evade that by itself is also a good question Part two would be, if you can go into detail about the above question I have, I had and how that ties into urban and rural environments, as well as escaping and evading based on different kinds of enemies, adapting to environments, detect their capabilities. Also, how do you determine what kind of adversary you're facing with little to no knowledge and how do you gather that intel without, while escaping and evading? I hope my question made sense. If you need me to clarify, I can do so. I know there's a lot to cover in my question. We greatly appreciate it. And he says he listens to the show and listens to him several times, even on some of them. So Alex, great question. Definitely shoot me your address. Tell me which book you want and we will make that happen. And so let's get into it. So the first part he wants to know about is kind of the order operations, kind of the ABC one, two, three, you follow and uh, what you need to consider ahead of time. And so there might be some weird pauses because I'm going to, bouncing back between screens here to read his question so for most of it if you look from the military side you get this training you hope it never happens and you have to react with whatever you have so based on his question that's what we're looking at we're looking at a situation like now everyday life where you probably have some time involved so most of it's gonna be pre-planning example is i was on a youtube show once years ago and it was whatever was going on and people were discussing martial law we were putting in theories and ideas and how martial law works. I was explaining how that works, what the plan kind of looks like, and discussing um, just bugging out, bugging in, how do you decide to do. So this woman had asked me the question, like, how long should it take you? And I was like, what do you mean? Like, how long should it take you to bug out? And I'm like, leave your house? She said, yeah. And I said, 30 minutes. And everybody was like taken back like that was real quick. And I said, look, Presume you got one or two vehicles and even a family or four or five. The 30 minutes is from the time you make the decision. From the time you make the decision, you're going to leave and load up and get out. You should be out of there in 30 minutes. In order to do that, that would mean you have to have things staged and ready to go. You'd have to have 
whatever supplies always packed up that you're checking ready to go. You'd have to have backpacks or bug out bags ready to go. And you'd be at the point where in that 30 minutes, you could say run to the safe or whatever and get all the important documents and things you need. Have everybody go grab their favorite teddy bear and t-shirt, you know, fill up a cooler with over foods in the fridge and it should take you about 30 minutes to get out. But it takes a lot of pre-planning. So most of it is going to be pre-planning. A lot of it we've talked about on other episodes and some we'll talk about in the future, but it's universally the same concept. So looking at the urban thing, when it comes to escaping and invading and not looking at survival, generally speaking, it doesn't matter what your environment is. The concept is the same. What you're doing is typically the same. If you haven't learned much about survival, if you start learning about it, you learn about the pillars of survival. When you learn about the pillars of survival at the beginning, you'll see that it's a general concept that applies anywhere before getting into specifics of what you can do in certain environments. So it's generally the same anywhere when you're escaping and invading. And the same concept of doing, say, surveillance detection routes, surveillance points, or, you know, routes, primary, secondary, alternate routes, in and out of locations, even if it's just going to work, you have all those things set up. So in the same way that I recommend people have at least three different routes for everything, primary, secondary, and alternate, which I'll probably do a show on explaining how I look at that, at least for a bug out. You should have those pre-planned or might even be dual-hatted for an escape and evasion situation if you have to leave, whether on foot, in a vehicle, either one. And you may set up a series of routes for uh, both of them. You may very well do that. So aside from routes, which can get very detailed and lengthy, which I'll probably do a show on, like I said, the other thing is looking at gear and equipment you'd need. And there's there's different ways to look at that. Like there's some people talk about lines of gear, they call it like first line, second line, whatever, however they explain it. It comes from this idea of some special forces guys during Vietnam. And they had what they called three lines of gear. And so what they had was their first line of gear were the things they carried on their pockets or on their person in their pockets, things like a compass, a map. You know, maybe they had a knife on their belt or something like that, a notebook. They had a few items they would have on them all the time that they could have in case, for whatever reason, that's all they had and they could perhaps survive. Their second line of gear was basically all the stuff you think a soldier has. And they called it web gear, but it would be their tactical gear, body armor if they had it, which were flak vests, their weapon, their magazines, grenades, a radio, these types of items that you would see uh, in a war movie. And then their third line were, Basically, either comfort items or additional items to assist in doing their job. So the first line is things I need all the time. Second line is to do my job. Third one's more comfort-based. They might have extra food, maybe large explosives. It could be other comfort items. A lot of them would be in a pack that could be used to survive for over 72 hours. So you could look at it like that. The things you carry on your everyday, like people call everyday carry, and your second line would be any additional things you would need to have on you to effectively get out of that situation, escape and evade. It may involve a weapon and body armor. It very well may. It may just be that backpack of things that you need. And then your third line might be your vehicle and all the extra stuff you may have to ditch or you can't even take with you. So part of the process is going to be figuring out all these items that you're going to want. And there's recommendations I have. Think about electronics and your cell phone. So don't look at it just from the riding situation now. Look at it at the point where, for some reason, there is no cell service and GPS doesn't work. How much do you rely on maps or how much should you rely on using maps if they're not uh, digital or electronic? 
So I would recommend having maps that you know how to read of your area or at least of where you're going, which may just be one of those travel city maps. If you're in a city or town, it's got a travel map and it may be topographical maps for other areas. You know, learn how to use a compass. In case you have to go with maps, you're going to learn, need to learn how to use a compass or at least learn alternate compass methods, how to use a watch to determine north, how to use the moon to determine east and west, understanding the difference between true north, magnetic north, and grid north, You know, knowing the difference of following the north star versus what magnetic north will actually be on your map. Learn some of those basic map reading skills. No matter what you do, be realistic. Be realistic about the weight. Most people are not in the physical shape they are, and they can't do things long-term with a lot of weight, let alone walk on uneven surfaces, let alone through hills or mountains. So definitely want to get in better shape because eventually you will either end up on your feet or if you're escaping, evading in any situation where you have a vehicle, you'll be more physically active and stressed than you are in everyday life. It'll take a larger toll on your body. You'll be more tired, more exhausted, possibly require more food or be short on food. And having that better physical fitness level is going to help you. You know, once you have packs on that weigh too much that you don't know how to use effectively, it won't take long to cause temporary and permanent injuries to your spine, which a lot of former military guys can tell you. So I don't recommend that most people go buy any type of pack where they're carrying around 110 pounds of gear like you would in special forces training. But I think most people could survive just fine in a backpack that weighed anywhere from 25 to 40 pounds. And 40 pounds is going to be a lot for most people. And so you want to learn about not only what you need, but how much is it going to weigh and how much money do you have to spend on it. So these are all going to be factors, and there's plenty of things on that list that you're going to need. Now, despite what items you pick or how you pick them, instead of just telling you what I think, because plenty of people tell you what they think, just follow the basic pillars of survival, at least for part of them. Figure out what you need, what you can afford, but learn how to use all of it. It's pointless to carry extra weight of things that you don't know how to use, hoping maybe somebody else will show you how to use it. One of the things we talk about a lot, too, is blending in, which I've described many times. Really, blending in is, generally speaking, most of the time is going to be looking normal, normal for that situation environment. You know, if you're looking to escape and invading in an urban environment, unless you're early, if a lot of other people are doing it, a lot of people are going to look like they're doing the same thing. So it's going with the flow as much as possible to not stand out while not putting yourself in danger by going with the flow. It takes practice to do so, and it's going to be stressful in a real situation. So when it comes to things like you're talking about disguise and camouflage and all these other skills, they're important to know. But in most escape and evade situations, camouflage or hiding yourself is going to be a bigger deal than an actual disguise. Like I don't think of changing my clothes as a disguise. Unless I'm using it to pretend to be somebody I'm not, kind of role-playing a situation. But I think of it to the point of the disguises where you're actually using you know, modifications to your parents. Putting on or removing facial hair, dyeing your hair, putting in implants, you know, the makeup type stuff. That's what I think of as disguise. may not be what you think of it. But you got to look at all those different points and figure out, is there things you could carry with you as extra clothes that could be enough to change your appearance if it mattered? Or hiding, like it's better to hide, stay in the shadows, and avoid things than it is to try to walk right through them unless you absolutely have to, assuming you have that option. 
So looking at the first half of the writing, I'd say generally it's all the same. It's in a general concept. It all applies the same. The process is the same. It's figuring out, at least for escaping, invading, basically taking off, whether you're on the run or you're avoiding a situation, you're just trying to get away from civil unrest, is figuring out what are you realistically going to need that's going to cover most, if not all, situations. That's why you look at the pillars of survival. There's also items outside of survival that you may need that make sense, like you know flashlights or firearms. Those might matter to you. You know, you might be the person that chooses to carry the extra weight of some sort of stove that uses propane gas and somebody else doesn't. They just make fires. It really depends when it comes to the equipment what you want to use. Lighter in general is good, but a specific lighter item may not be. It depends on how well made it is. So you got to look at all that stuff too. And at a minimum, if you're going to try looking at practicing this stuff and just Try following a simple, you know, take a survival class, learn some survival skills, go with some people. Or if you've got somewhat skills and knowledge and you're confident with it, go somewhere safe where you're not going to be in danger, but essentially go minimalist camping without using your vehicle or a tent and use all this stuff and try it out and see how well it works for you. If you can't do that or don't do that, you're not going to learn how to use it. You're not going to learn what you want differently. You're not going to see how you want to change things to make it better. And you don't want to learn those while you're on the run, you want to know ahead of time if you have that option, which right now you very likely do. Now, a big part of the question to me is really the last part of it, but especially segueing into it, want to know when to pull the trigger, when to make the decision. So it comes down to every individual on what criteria you want to follow for what it's going to take for you to essentially leave that situation on a potentially permanent basis, or at least temporary enough to where you're leaving your home unsecure. Now, despite having security systems or anything, if you leave your home and nobody's living in it and you're on vacation for two weeks, you've left your home unsecure because there's nobody there. Maybe somebody's checking on it. So it's kind of the same idea, but you have to make that decision yourself. What's it going to require for you to do it? So you have to decide, is it going to be civil unrest? Does it need to be this close to my area? You know, where are you living now? If civil unrest is there, have you followed my advice in other podcasts if you heard them and said here's the guidelines i'm setting up it gets this close it gets this big it gets this violent i'm gonna go ahead and take a a vacation because i'm not working anyway you know if you're able to do that have you looked at that what about like natural disasters you know there's plenty of people that live in hurricane areas even areas with tornadoes or where we get the really bad winters and they happen all the time you know, hurricanes hit the East Coast like every year. May not hit the same place. May do it every few years. And sometimes they get really, really bad. Sometimes there's not enough wind to cause too much damage. But there's a lot of flooding. And I think anybody that lives out there in those areas where they've been there and seen that stuff happen should have plans like this about when to leave. You can follow patterns in news reports and hurricane movement and the speeds they're getting when they start advising people to get out. You know, by the time they're forcing people to leave, it's really already too late. I mean, you should still leave, but it's going to be rough. So I would look at that like if it's a known situation like a hurricane, when are they typically telling people to leave? When are people starting to leave? How big is it? How close is it when traffic starts to get rough? And if you can identify some sort of pattern, figure out how much earlier you want to go. And then that would be your trigger. That would be when you said, I'm, I'm moving out because you move out, the thing shifts course and two days later it goes away it's no big deal hey you can come right back but if you didn't move out and then you tried to leave with everybody else or couldn't leave with everybody else you could be caught right in the middle of it so it's figuring out patterns and that's a good example of one that's known you can identify the patterns of when those things are coming when do they really start telling people to leave or when do people start leaving on their own 
And you want to be one of the first ones if it's going to be a mass exodus. The point of that to say is you look at like civil unrest now or any other situation short of asteroid hitting Earth, other types of things, whatever you can dream up. The most important thing you need is information. And you need ways to get information. So you get information now, you watch the news or the TV, you read articles, you have the internet, you follow Facebook. Some of those are crappy sources to me, but hey, that's what you got. That's what you're doing. You're at least aware things are going on. So my next thought is, how do you get information when all those things go away? Well, there's things like ham radios. You can even buy little portable ones that you don't talk on, but you listen to amateur bands, which is a good way to get information. You can also go and talk to people, but you need the information to figure out an assessment on how to make decisions, when you're going to go, what you're going to do, when you're going to be home, when you're going to leave the area. It takes information to do that. One thing he mentions in there is adversaries and identifying them and their capabilities. If you look at just the rioting going on right now as an example, short of just a massive outbreak of violence, if you go to any of those situations or see the videos that are longer where people are there doing their video logs, even when that stuff breaks out, there can be hours and hours of them just chanting and not really being too much crazy or doing anything bad. Sometimes there's big marches and demonstrations even now that may not even have any violence or might have small amounts of it that even the protesters stop. That's happened in some locations. And when you see those things, one thing you realize is they're all pretty much look the same. It's no different than when we, after 9-11, went back into Afghanistan. But when we got into Iraq and the insurgency started, there wasn't really uniforms. Everybody looked the same. So it took the behavior and activity to determine whether or not somebody was an adversary. So I remember one time driving by this village. We knew something was wrong. We told everybody to get down. We got down just in time. An IED went off, jacked our vehicle up, and then all these people dispersed. We had no idea who had pulled the trigger. We had no idea if anybody had weapons. We had no idea what to think we knew why it had happened which is another story but there was no way for us to tell we just knew a bunch of people out there and they all had guilty knowledge they at least were aware of it but they weren't all bad people so short of some sort of foreign invasion or something where people are wearing a describable noticeable uniform more than likely in this country it would be something like regular civilians you know you get in those situations like the hurricane for example or riots, there's people out there looting, taking advantage of it. People lose their heads. I bet some of those people are really nice people every day, probably even level-headed, probably raised well, probably raised their kids well. But they get this mass hysteria thing, and they just go crazy. And they can become very dangerous. And in like a survival situation, there's things you need like food, water, shelter. But the biggest danger is typically going to be other people. So the caution is to look at everybody's potential threat. And that kind of goes along with the gray man idea of looking people as a threat, although I, I do it in a different fashion. But looking at everybody as a potential threat. You know, there are people that you've seen it in movies, and this isn't unrealistic. I've met people in foreign countries where their countries and economies have clapped and they've gone into survival mode and said, yeah, stuff like that's real, where somebody's sick or tired or just weary. They need food, water, they want help. And they're trying to be really nice about it hoping they're going to get help, and they're actually that's actually how they're feeling at the time. And the person, unfortunately, has to turn them down because it may even be a situation they just don't have anything extra. And then that person becomes very angry and violent, 
and then attacks them. And that's because of things like dehydration, malnutrition, stress, anxiety, the response it triggers. They just act out. Sometimes they can't control it. It's a survival mode, a survival instinct. So it's going to be hard to say who an adversary is going to be. More than likely, when you're looking at an urban environment, even in most countries when this happens now, where it becomes a survival situation or the country collapses or there's a coup, no matter what it is, before it gets to that point, most people already know who the adversary is, if they're especially if they're uniform, because there's enough talk about it. You know, there's enough discussion. You know, countries having these problems, governments having this problem, military's talking this, all of a sudden the military stages a coup. You already know who the adversaries are depending on which side you're on. So there's typically it's gonna go that route. And if it's not that route, unless you haven't been paying attention to the news, more likely it's gonna be regular people, people you don't know. So you want to know who you can trust, where you can go, where you can get information. Now, as far as gathering intel goes while you're escaping, invading, it's basically surveillance, which is just a fancy word for observing that has specific techniques and training to it. Observation. You know, start with things like atmospherics, which is how people think and feel. You can get a sense of that without even talking to anybody. So if you go look at videos of protests and riots that have happened in the last same month, probably in the last couple of days, depending on which portion of that video you watch or depending on where it is, you get a sense of atmospherics. You might see that these are protesters that are unhappy and they're protesting. And then over here you got violent, crazy rioters and you get a sense of what the group is thinking, feeling and how they're behaving doesn't matter what they're like away from there. It doesn't matter what they're like at their mama's house. It matters what they're like there. So if you are escaping, invading, let's say it's a really bad hurricane situation and you leave your area where the hurricane's coming, then you get to a small town. Pretty much everybody's gone. Nobody's there. You keep driving. Something happens. Your vehicle's disabled. Now you're on foot. You get to another area, winds are coming again, the hurricane's kind of devastating the area, it dies down, and you find some people there that didn't get out. And when you see how the people look, how they're dressed, how clean or dirty they are, their attitudes, just looks on their faces, you can get an idea of the atmospherics of what's going on there. And you can try to match out as much as you need to to disguise yourself, but you get intel, that's intel, valuable intel. It tells you about their motivation, their morale, their spirit, it tells you a lot about resources they have available to them if they have any at all. Just like if you walk into some party or dinner or casino where there's people with money that are dressed well and rich that are having a few drinks and having dinner, you get a sense of the morale and the environment and how they're behaving. So that's one form of the intel. The other things you do, I think I've talked about this on shows, but you observe a lot. You do as much observation as you can. So if you're escaping or evading, and you come across something, whether it's, you know, two guys and a dog at a campfire or another urban area, even just, say, a farm, unless you're completely just devastated to where you need immediate assistance, you do your best to observe that area and try to get a sense of what's going on. How many people are there? When do they get up? When do they do this? What are their patterns? You know, when are they eating dinner? When are they going to the bathroom? What path do they tend to follow when they walk into the barn? How often are they going out? When do they go to work? If you have the ability to do it, you do it for a few days and really get a sense of what's going on there. So again, more types of information. Other things is just talking to people. 
You know, you can talk to people, talk to your neighbors, talk to people at the store. There are times when things happen when I go shopping. Any hot button topic, anything that makes the news for more than a week. I go shopping. I go to places I don't even normally shop at. I walk around and look at stuff. But I go to places where people talk, especially grocery stores, and get into areas, especially on military bases. Get there outside of lunchtime, get a lot of the wives there. They got their kids. You see people talking and having discussions. And I walk around and listen to what they're saying. Gives me an idea of what they're thinking. How are their ideas flowing? Where are they getting their information? What do they really believe? doesn't matter if it's true or not. Sometimes you find out new things, but you get an idea of what that area believes, what that group of people are thinking. And that's all valuable intel. One of the things you mentioned, too, is about the different types of enemies. So terms like enemies, I look at as a legal term, but we'll use your language. Bad guys coming or potentially coming after you. In escape and evasion situation, there's two things I consider very important. They're not the only two things, but one is the distance you create. So you're probably moving quicker <laughs> and with a little more motivation. If you guys guys chasing you with guns that are shooting at you like a downed pilot in the middle of the jungle. But if they could potentially be coming after you, but then think they are, the more distance you create, the better off you can be. And the more distance you create, there might be more people between you and them, which is more people they will talk to. Could suck for those people, but you're trying to survive. The other thing goes also into your capabilities question is, to the best of your knowledge, what are their capabilities? You know, if you look at like a cop show and they do like a car chase, that's escape and evasion, right? Well, what always happens? Well, there are news helicopters, but there's also cop helicopters. And then they spotlight the guy. I don't know why they keep running. I think it's the stress, the adrenaline, the hope and desire you can survive and get away with it. But once that light's on you, I mean, you're not getting away from that guy. Unless you're in like a Batman car that can black out and just disappear. So it's the same idea. If a military invaded your area and they had aircraft like that and presumably then have thermal and night vision, radar and God knows what else. If they're chasing you with helicopters and you're out in the open desert or the jungle, unless you know how to hide really well and have a already set up place, more than likely, they're going to get you. So you need to know what the capabilities are so you can make the best decision. So if I was in a city and there was a lot of buildings and they have a lot of floors and maybe subterranean areas and they're everywhere and there's a lot of people, or I can cross the street and go on the run out in the woods and I know the guy's chasing me with helicopters, it really depend on the situation, the time, but my first thought is I'd probably stay in the city. There's more places to hide, more people, better chance of blending in and getting out of there. If I take off in the woods, number one, there's not as many people right away. Most likely in this country, most of those woods, they can find you and follow you easily. So you need to know what their capabilities are. You're going to get that from observation. You're going to get that from talking to people. You know, look at like, uh, whether you like the movies or not, look at the Red Dawn movies, the old one and the new one. And they do this... They do it more in the new one, I think, but in the new one, for those who aren't familiar, if you're not familiar with the Red Dawn movies, it's basically about foreign forces invading America and kids in high school um, basically take off into the mountains. A couple of them grew up in the mountains, kind of know how to survive, and then they start a guerrilla resistance against the occupying military force, which isn't too far from reality in some places. So... One of the things they do is in the new one, they really kind of go into it where this one guy's a Marine on leave and says, look, I'm going to fight. So some kids stay with him. He's going through some training, but 
why he's going through training and giving this speech and they're showing all these cut scenes of them preparing. One of the things it shows them doing is going into the town. They're blending in with normal people because they look just like them. And they're observing patterns. They're keeping track of when the guards go on shift. They're taking notes, looking at the weapons, the gear they have, the best of their knowledge. How many people are there? When do they have shift change? And then based on that information, they're taking action against that force to disrupt them and get them out of there. For what you're asking, it's the same idea. You know, the quicker you have to run, the harder it is to observe whoever's following you. You know, the slower you have to run, the more time you got to observe them. I want to point out too, like anymore, the term gray man is almost a buzzword anymore. You know, there's not too many people that really are a gray man or have ever been one. I mean, most of the people that worked in places like the CIA that write books were never a gray man. They might have had the training on it, but very few people have ever done it and lived their life that way. Some do. I still follow some of the things in my everyday life, plenty of things I don't. But all it is is that concept and idea that I explained in an earlier podcast of what it was ideally created for. The entire sense is most of it is stuff people already do or want to learn how to do anyway. You know, it's like the word prepper. The word prepper is a bug word, buzzword. When I was a kid, a prepper was just called grandma. My grandparents did things that make you a crazy prepper now. You know, when you look at most of it, that's all it was. So it's kind of a buzzword. But it's really it has a lot to do with being prepared. It's a lot of like spy espionage stuff, but you take the points that are going to apply for you in your everyday life. So observation, situational awareness. I mean, everything I've been talking about, situational awareness. Re-listen to the situational awareness podcast at the very beginning. Start practicing your situational awareness. It comes through surveillance and observation. Start figuring patterns out. If you go to lunch in a food court in a mall, while you're sitting there eating your lunch, trying to look as normal as possible, how many patterns can you identify no matter what they are? Look at the people working in all them restaurants. What patterns do they set? What patterns do people eating set? Do you see them, you know, put the fork down and pick it up at certain times based on how many bites they have? Start picking up on these patterns and they'll start to become second nature. But based on the question, most of this has come down to preparation, preparing ahead of time. What do you need to escape? Evade is when people are chasing you, but start with escape. What do you need to escape the situation? Number one, you need a reason. So what are the realistic reasons in your area? Start with environmental. What are the environmental things around you that happen somewhat frequently or regularly that you can count on probably happening this year? And then based on when those have happened in the past, how people reacted, figure out your plan when you would initiate reacting sooner and how you would react in order to get out of there and where you would go. And then what are realistic things that could happen that aren't frequent? Like there's been people that have prepared for riots and civil disturbance that have happened now in places they never happened before, at least that anybody can remember. You know, what happens if you're in an area where there's civil disturbance in your city, but it's, you know, three miles away on the other side of town. Okay. But that's still pretty close. There may not be a reason to come to your neighborhood, but what, what happens if they do? There's been a few situations where protesters and rioters have jumped security fences in suburbs and certain areas and got into them. You know, so what's going to be your response then? When are you going to decide to, to leave? You know, then you're looking at your routes, your ways out. Having at least three by foot, three by vehicle would be a minimum, I would think. 
you know, the routes you're going to take, when you're going to take them, what's going to determine route A versus route B? You know, what resources are on those routes? Where's the fuel points? You know, where's the hotels? Where's the water sources? Where's the food based on how you're going and when? What's the likelihood of them to be overrun by people? You know, if you have no problem getting in a vehicle and driving for four or five hours, great. If you can be one of the first people out of there and you can drive for five hours, you're going to be way ahead of the game. There's also what stuff do you need? And then having it not only prepared, pre-planned and ready to go, but also stuff you work with on a regular basis that you know how to use it. It's great to have a bag full of cool new toys. But if you bought them five years ago and they're still all cool new toys, there's going to be stuff in there that you don't know how to use or don't get to working right away because you haven't practiced with it. And all the time, even up to now, let's say this doesn't happen for 10 years. When you're gathering intel, you should be gathering it right now. You should be gathering it right now. If you're in a hurricane area, what other tropical storms are out in the Atlantic that potentially the next hurricanes and where are they? Have you looked at that? If it's tornado season or tornadoes have been coming around or hail where all the tornadoes happen, have you been tracking where they're at in your area beyond just what the news tells you? Do you know the frequency of tornadoes in your state or your area of the state and how often they touch down? Are you aware of wildfires? How often wildfires happen in your state? How frequently? How big they get? Where are they? What resources affect them? How do they try to control them? How does that affect emergency response in, in your area where you live if the fire is nowhere near you? If you have flooding, where does the flooding typically happen? When does it typically happen? What happens? How do people react and respond to it? Snow, snowstorms, super cold weather, same thing. Super hot weather, same thing. What do those affect you in your area, area of travel? And then what research have you done on them to start looking at those patterns? You could be doing that now. If you're looking at possibly leaving an area because of this virus, great. Is your state on a travel ban? Do you know what states don't want your state to travel there? Do you know what happens when you leave your state and go to a neighboring state? What are they going to do? Are they stopping people? Are they telling people to go into quarantine? Because that's happening all over the country. been going on for months in certain places. It just depends on where you're at. Are you aware of what that is? And these are all vital pieces of information either help you decide when to leave or help you decide where to go. So you could decide at any point to leave because of the virus right now the way it, the way it is. But do you know where you actually can go? You know, that could cause a problem. You might know where to go and the way you want to go for a hurricane. But that doesn't mean you know where they are. Or how quickly they're moving. Are you following that? Are you checking it? You know, do you got some kind of app that checks that? Or do you set alerts up on a web service or an RSS feed about information related to the important things to you that could affect your area? Look at infrequent events that still happen, though, like mass shootings and bombings. They'll still happen. If they happen at a place like an airport, they'll shut most, if not all, the airports down. They'll shut down air travel. They'll shut down large portions of cities. Depending on what they find out from the attackers, there's other effects that can happen in areas that are states away. That's happened before. So how do you know when those happen? Best thing you can do, get a RSS feeder or some sort of search engine or email account where you can set up alerts for keywords. When they come up, you can get that information right away. So if there's a shooting, it comes up, you can see where it is. And you're like, oh, there was three shootings in Chicago that made the news this weekend. You're like, yeah, I don't care about that. And you're like, oh, 
there's an active shooter at an airport or a post office, like a federal location or a mass transit location, that could affect you no matter where you're at. You know, so how do you get that information? Because those things show up less and less on the news the farther away you are. And then if you're the kind of person who doesn't watch the news anyway, it could be days for you now. So the point of all that is the intel is constant. The surveillance and observation is constant. And you need that information to make these decisions. So there's things you can do to help you prepare and gather information. Start asking yourself questions. You might be at the point of saying, what supplies do I need? What routes do I need to figure out? You might be there. You might be saying, well, if this was to happen right now, what, to the best of my knowledge, do I think I would do? And you'd say, oh, I would do this, 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 and this. Okay, great. That doesn't work out, one of those things. What do you do then? Or what do you do after that? Like, oh, I get out of town. I got all this cool stuff. I know how to use it. Got my family. It's in the car. I drive for eight hours. I'm two states away. Good to go. And then you're like, oh, but you know what? The best way out of here, I don't know anybody over there. I don't have friends or family, so I need to find lodging, places I could stay, places I pay for, places I camp at. You know, maybe that's what you're looking for. You know, what kind of stuff do you need to be prepared for? Let's say you're in a legal altercation, completely separate subject, but same principle. Legal situation. You get in a car accident, right? And you two are arguing over who did what, and they have to investigate it. Or let's say you get pulled over by a cop. They got a body camera on. Maybe you film them on the phone. Regardless of how it plays out, looks like the cops being belligerent, out of line. Maybe they get abusive. One of those things that makes the internet, right? Okay. Pull your emotions and feelings out of it and ask yourself this question. Do you know what lawyer, lawyer you would pick? Because if you think that's something realistic to your life, you should already know what lawyer you would call. So have you looked into those lawyers and attorneys? You have car insurance. Do you know the process for filing a claim for a vehicle collision? You might have one. So there's a lot of things you can do beforehand, and it's constant preparation. It's not as easy as just having a bag of goodies and maybe a 4 by 4 if you think that's what you need and getting in and driving away. It's just not that simple. Another thing to prepare for is being alone. What if you're alone? What if you're the type of person who ends up alone? You don't have friends or family with you or something happens and you get separated and you're alone. And let's say this goes on for weeks. And let's say you're truly alone. You're not even around other people. How are you going to handle that? You know, I've mentioned this show before, but if you go watch the alone TV show, the survival show on the History Channel, one of the things you'll see is these people that go out there they're almost all professional survivalists and bushcrafters. Some of them have businesses, they're instructors. It's what they do professionally. They've been doing it for years. Some of them are hunters that live off the land or homesteaders. Tons of skills. They get out there. They're by themselves. So that's going on. Then they start to become deficient in nutrients because they're not getting the amount of food or clean water that they need, which is realistic because they're being more physically active every day just to survive. And then you start to see little emotional breaks. Sometimes you just see them talk about their family and cry for five minutes. But then you start seeing people go into severe emotional breakdowns that cause them to quit or to make really bad decisions or get hurt because they don't have their brain functioning properly. So those are other things to happen. If you have to escape and evade and you end up not only alone, 
but away from society, or even if you're in an urban area with tons of supplies, but there's nobody else there, it can get to you eventually. And that's something else to prepare for. So to recap, generally it's the same. The process is simply the same, just like pillars of survival. It applies to pretty much all environments. It's just a question of how much do you know about that environment and what applies more in environment A versus environment B. But the process is the same for bugging out, escape, evade. There's general things you need to know. Like you need to know how the gear you have. You need to know what gear you need to have. You need to have routes, ways to go on foot and buy a vehicle out of there. Destinations, multiple destinations for each location. What resources are on the way. What alternate resources are on the way if you can't use that one. Figuring out what your triggers are when you're going to make that decision. So that's why I use the example of a hurricane. You can establish at least some type of pattern of when it's bad, how people react and when they leave, to where you can make that decision early. Better to make the decision early, get out of there and avoid all the bullshit, and then find out you're wrong, and then you just go back, than it is to wait too long and be stuck and screwed in the middle of chaos for weeks or months. You know, and then figuring out if these other things that could possibly happen, what would make you decide to go? And when it comes down to it for most people, most people just have a lot of bravado and ego and say all kinds of stuff. But the fact of the matter is most people don't know what things really should cause them to make these decisions. And most people, when it comes down to it, have a hard time making decisions because they feel safe in their homes. They don't realize how safe and secure they feel. And it becomes scary because you're starting to choose to step into the unknown and make decisions like this to leave. A lot of people have a hard time with that and just don't accept it or realize it. And then... The one thing I didn't mention to add on is you got the stuff, you know how to use it, you got these plans, you got a place to go, you got ways to go, resources, you know when you're going to make that decision. It happens, you make the decision, it was a good thing you made that decision, you get out of there, you end up on your own, you end up in a place that might have limited resources or some resources, but then the question is what do you do next? How long do you stay there? How do you get more information? You still need more information. What happens if you end up by yourself? How do you get more information? You know, why Why is that important? Well, if you remember, I think it was Y2K. You know, the world's going to end. It was like six weeks or something or three months. It was a while after Y2K, this guy, this guy crawled out of a bunker he had. He had a bunker at his house, went in the bunker. And you probably find the story online. I don't remember what it was, but essentially he didn't come out earlier because there's he didn't have correct form of communication or a way to monitor what was going on. And so I don't remember why it is he came out, but good thing he did. He could have died in there. But what he was lacking was a way to get the information. So he was basically in a situation where he had what he needed, but he was isolated on his own. Who knows if he was losing his mind or not. And then he's not getting the intel. And it never happened. Nothing ever went bad. And then he finally came out. So what happens if this happens to you? How do you get that information? You're still going to need the information and intel. And don't forget to look at little things. You live in a, or work in an office building or you live in an apartment complex, let's say, in a city, right? How many official and unofficial ways are out of that building? It has elevators. What's it take for them to shut the elevators down? What's it take for them to shut down automatically? That's important to know. Because more likely escape evasion situation, some sort of disaster or event that possibly could trigger that shutdown. If you're around any sort of mass transit, even a 
non-mass transit, but public transit. What's it take for that to get shut down? What happens? Has it been shut down before? You know, if you're in an area, going back to the hurricane, you're in an area, you know, say you don't get out and it gets bad. Or you try to escape and evade, but you're still stuck in the middle of it, right? Historically, how long does it take for FEMA and other emergency services to show up? How much supplies they have? How long does it take them to get it out to people? That's handy piece of information. So if you want to break the information down, I'd break it down, I'd say, in three general categories to make it simple. One is you need information on the event, whatever it is that took place that caused you or potentially caused you to make this decision to leave, right? The second one is you need intel on support. Basically, anything that's a resource that can provide support to you. Now, that could be emergency services. It could be FEMA. It could be a gas station. But there's that kind of information. When does it show up? You know, how long does the gas last in a gas station? You know, what happens if stores are looted? When does the fire department show up? What assets they usually have? How do you communicate with the assets that are people? The other one is going to be information on the opposition, if there is any, which may just happen to be in a disaster situation. The potential threat of other people that are either taking advantage of the situation or just trying to survive. So I'll think a little more on this, see if I want to cover it some more. If, Alex, you got anything more specific, just shoot me a follow-up email. Or if there's something I didn't cover enough for you, I know some of this is kind of general and vague. I knew it was going to be long in the beginning, longer than most of my shows have been. But I'm hoping this gives you a good general starting point to look at. Definitely let me know if you need more information or if anybody else out there got a question. I'll think more on it and see about making potentially a couple more shows later on covering some of these topics. Thank you for listening, and we will have another show for you here soon on Gray Man Hiding in Plain Sight.